the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dr. Bill, a little bit of Eric Clapton and the Cream, redoing Robert Johnson's old song, old blues riff, going down to the crossroads. So we're going down to the crossroads. Here we are, everybody. We are at a time in history where there is great social upheaval and change. But you know what? Uh, For all of the social upheaval and all the social changes, there's really not that much violence and death. I mean, there's destruction, there's property violence, but not people violence. And, uh, you know, as I've said before, all the crimes are dropping, all the uh, murder rates are going down, and, and the, uh, the police shootings are going down. Everything is actually getting better. You wouldn't believe it from the press, but it is. And, and you know, the other thing that is interesting to me is this coronavirus, the, uh, the press is making a big deal out of the jump in cases. And I took a look at this in Florida, and it looks like it's pretty much seesawing up and down the number of deaths that that we have. But the number of cases are increasing dramatically. Why? Well, because <laughs> we're testing more people. So the death rate is actually much lower than than what we initially had anticipated. And the governor of Oklahoma was on yesterday. I heard him <clears throat> basically saying the same thing, that... The, uh, the death rate in Oklahoma was minuscule, you know, less than 1%, probably one-tenth of 1%. So I, I'm, I'm surprised that the press isn't picking up on this and, and uh, giving us a more accurate picture of what's going on. However, you know, news is news, and I guess anything sensational is, is what they want to sell. By the way, in Florida, we've had... Uh, about 94,000 cases diagnosed and 3,000 and change uh, deaths, 18,000 recovered. So the 18,000 and the 3,000 were hospitalized. So of the hospitalized patients, it's, uh, it's about 25%. Now, we haven't had that much or that many deaths at our hospital because we have figured out a pretty good formula, as I've told you guys uh, past couple of weeks. So we're, we're doing really well with our formula. Oh, and by the way, Joe, the, the big thing this week was uh, dexamethasone, which is a corticosteroid. It's related to cortisone and prednisone and depomedrol and prednisolone. These are all anti-inflammatory, potent anti-inflammatory drugs. And uh, the dexamethasone stocks are all shooting up, but we've been using the uh, the uh, steroids in our patients for over a month now, probably a month and a half, two months. Uh, We're pretty aggressive with that. So uh, any of these anti-inflammatories in the corticosteroid class will will help. Uh, So where's the big, where are the big uh, hotspots for the virus in Florida? 
Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach County. Those are the big three. And as we all know, those are the three counties on the southeastern coast of Florida, on the Atlantic coast, and those are some of the most densely populated counties. Uh, a lot of Hispanics are being affected by this, Hispanic Americans. Uh, lesser is uh, Hillsborough, Orange, and Lee County, and then Pinellas County comes in behind that. But, you know, we're talking Miami-Dade, 25,000, Broward, 10,000, Palm Beach, 10,000 cases, and Pinellas, 3,438 cases with uh, 114 deaths. So we're actually doing pretty good, our little county. Uh, and we are, by the way, the most densely populated county in the state. It's kind of kind of hard to believe that we are, and we have the highest percentage of at-risk population with, with the huge number of nursing homes. You know, they call St. Petersburg God's waiting room. Uh, the newly wed and the nearly dead come to St. Petersburg, and uh, we're very proud of that, by the way. So there have been a big jump in cases. We had yesterday, I think we had uh, 40 or 4,000 new cases reported. But again, this is all from testing, so I'm, I'm not too worried. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that we're doing really well. Uh, of course, the death toll, it really jumps when you get over 60, that's the the uh, the big the big jump there. We have had some deaths of people in their 20s and 30s and 40s, but overall, it's been a real uh, a real plague on the elderly, on the senior citizens and the retirees, which uh, of course is is not not good at a human at a human level, but you know at a financial level, it's going to uh, decrease the, the burden on Medicare and Social Security. And uh, you say, well, why do you bring that up? Well, you know, in the 14th century, 1340s is when the Black Plague swept through Europe and Asia and Northern Africa and wiped out a big chunk of the population. And it brought in a, a lot of uh, upheaval and social changes in society. Uh, and the uh, the honest truth about this is that the Europeans came out per capita wealthier than after, after than before the plague. There had been a, a population boom in Europe and in many parts of the world from the time that William the Conqueror took over England in 1066 to the 11th and 12th and 13th century, and so there had been a doubling of the population, and there was a glut of labor. Now, the society was divided into three three different classes or caste. There was the royalty, which included the, uh, the nobility and the soldier, the military class, and this class was expected to protect the populace from outside threats and to maintain order, the police, uh, within within the countries. Then there was the, uh, the clergy, the religious class, and this class was to protect the soul from Satan and the ravages of sin, as well as educate the population, and the clergy set up schools. And then 90% of the population were, were worker bees, they were laborers, and they were basically what we would call tenant farmers, uh, there was uh, the, this social order called serfdom, 
and basically these people leased land from the lords and the royalty who owned the land, the land having all been claimed by William the Conqueror when he came over in 1066, and then he meted it out to those who were loyal to him, his nobility that were uh, his backers, and that continued on into well into the 17th and 18th century. Uh, what happened then is that you were tied to a certain lord or a certain manor or a state, and you had a farm, and you and your family would work the farm, and in payment for the rental of the land, you would give part of your crop, and or you would also provide labor. And there was very little social mobility upward. Well, when the plague hit, it took out a big chunk of the working class, obviously, because 90% of the people were working class, and that decreased the labor pool in conjunction with advances in farming, which decreased the need for uh, as many laborers. And so you had a, an increased demand for workers, but a decreased number of workers, so the job market was really, really good. And so what happened? Well, people said, well, you know what? My Lord is not paying me enough or he's demanding too much of my crop when I could take it to town and sell some of it and have a little cash to get the kids some new clothes or whatever. And so King Edward III, who ruled a big chunk of the 14th century, 13, I think he was in from 1320 or 30 through 1360, 70, he made a proclamation, made a law that it was illegal to leave your manor. You had to stay there if you were a worker bee, and that's where you were born, and that's uh, who you were renting your property from and who you were tied to. Of course, everybody ignored it, and you couldn't enforce it because if you locked up people who were worker bees and you had a shortage of worker bees already, well, you can see you'd have an even more of a shortage. So the, the whole social order of Europe and perhaps the world, uh, changed because of the Black Plague and because of socioeconomic and technological advances. And the, uh, the rise of the merchant class, which became the middle class, and then the upper middle class, brought with it uh, a newfound wealth. There was no merchant class to speak of before the plague. Uh, this was a new phenomenon with the change in technology and shipbuilding and then sailing and in uh, monetary exchange and in the ability of, of nations to have more trade with each other. And not that there wasn't trade, but there was a greatly increased trade. And of course, there was an inter interchange of ideas and technology. And so merchants were needed to make the deals and uh, ship the goods and keep the accounts, and so all of a sudden you had a class of people who were coming out of basically the, the laboring class who were getting educated, who were making money, some of them as rich as the nobility. They were well-dressed, they lived in fine homes, and they were moving up. And so the, the whole fabric of Europe in the 14th century changed, changed dramatically, and in large part because of the plague, as well as changes in technology and uh, the ability of people to move about. So you had a, a decimation of the population. A third to half of Europe was wiped out by the plague. Obviously, those who survived would inherit that 
which had been previously split between more than one person or, or uh, many people. And so there was a consolidation of, of power and wealth and of uh, land and uh, upward mobility. And the church as well, which was undergoing some upheaval itself, the, the, the Pope had moved the, uh, the, uh, the seat of, uh, of the church from Rome to Avignon in the 14th century. And this was a big deal because there was war going on in Italy and the papacy thought that it was time to get out. And this was before the plague. This was in 1309. The plague didn't hit until 1347. That's when it hit Sicily. So in 1309, the Pope moved, moved the whole sea from Rome to Avignon, France, in southern France. And uh, this was a big deal. Uh, there was a big split in the church. And as well, people had tied so much of their beliefs, not only in spirituality, but also in physicality, in science, and in medicine. All this was intertwined with religion, and everything was God's will. And so if you were a sinner, uh, you would be punished with illness, uh, with famine, with, with uh, droughts, with, with loss of family members, and this is because you were a sinner. Well, with the Black Death... All of a sudden, with the plague, people saw that not only were bad people dying, but good people were dying. Priests and nuns and, and ministers and uh, uh, doctors and lawyers and nobility, all the people who had been thought of as the uh, pillars of society, they were dying too, at the same rate as everybody else. And, you know, some people tried to blame the Jews, some people blamed themselves, and the, the Pope even said, you know, it, how could it be the Jews' fault? They're dying at the same rate as everybody else. People were flagellating themselves. Well, you know, the kids coming up in that generation looked around and said, wait a minute, this isn't God's doing. This is, this is something we can't explain. We don't know what's causing it, but come on. And this helped usher in the Protestant Revolution. All this because of the plague and because of the technologic and socioeconomic changes that happened in the 14th century. There was even a peasants' revolt in the late 14th century, and the king in England went and confronted them and promised reforms for them. Of course, later on, he uh, came back and arrested all the leaders and hung them, but, uh, you know, that's not uncommon. You know, you know, we're seeing that somewhat now that with all the uh, upheaval, social upheaval in our country, the leaders are saying, oh, yeah, and we'll talk to you and we'll meet your demands, and, but you watch there's going to be a backlash and there will be legal consequences for some of these people. But you got to look at our century and look at this plague that we're seeing, which is certainly nowhere near as devastating as the influenza plague in 1918-1919 or the Black Plague in uh, 1347 that ravaged Europe, in part because we have better technology, so we're figuring out how to save people and we uh, can develop vaccines, and we we have IV fluids and blood transfusions and anticoagulants and anti-inflammatories and all these great technological advances that allow us to combat this uh, this plague of ours, this coronavirus plague, and allow us to conquer it, so to speak. And you say, well, it doesn't look like we're conquering it to me because there are more cases. Yeah, but the death rate's about the same, so there's actually... 
uh, or the number of deaths are about the same. So there's actually a decrease in the death rate in the percentage of people that are dying. And this, as I said a few weeks ago, this will ripple through society. And when you look at the charts of the new cases going up and down, that's exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing a ripple effect as uh, there are outbreaks of pockets of this and, and families and communities and uh, groups of young people. And it's going to eventually work its way through a big chunk of our society. And hopefully this will impart some immunity. And if not, we hope to have a vaccine by this fall so that we can uh, somehow uh, contain this thing and uh, ensure ourselves that we're not all going to die from it. Of course, we're not all going to die from it, but uh, if we listen to our, our our press, you would think that we we were. Well, that's not going to happen, so to heck with that. So the plague in, in Europe undermined the church, and we see and hear echoes of that today, and I've seen, you've probably seen this too, Joe, I've seen uh, advertisements of preachers talking about getting back to faith and uh, predicting in the 1980s that there would be a great plague. And of course, all these things uh, are eternally with us, these predictions. And come on now, I don't think that that, uh, that people are being punished because they're evil with, with this coronavirus plague. I see really good people, people who are very innocent and nice people that have caught this and died. So I'm, I'm not uh, I'm, I'm not part of that crowd. I haven't heard anybody say that it's a scourge from God, but I'm sure that there are ministers who are doing that and saying that nonsense. I don't believe any of that. That's a bunch of baloney. So in the 21st century, what socioeconomic changes do we have? Well, there's been a worldwide rise of the middle class. Remember, China was was poor in the in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. I mean, they lived in poverty. Well, now they've, they've got a thriving middle class. Uh, American values have been exported worldwide, for better or for worse, uh, including a divorce, <laughs> you know. But uh, our, our language, not just English, but the way we speak English is what the world wants to speak. Uh, our movies and our our culture and our technology and all of this has been spread around the world. Uh, there's been a marked increase in healthcare spending by all countries, not just the United States. You probably didn't know this, Joe, but uh, over 33% of the Florida budget of our tax dollars in Florida go to Medicaid, Florida Medicaid. Say that number again. Over 33%, over one-third of our budget in Florida is spent on Medicaid in Florida. A third seems like a lot. And you know what? Over 50% of the federal budget is spent on Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. 50% seems like an awful lot. Yeah, well, you know, people think that we spend most of our money on military. Military spending has stayed in the 18, 19, 20% range uh, for decades, for decades. So, there's been a market increase worldwide, not just in the United States, in healthcare spending. And you can say that retirement uh, funding is healthcare spending. We've also seen, along with the healthcare spending, an increase in longevity. Uh, we've seen an increase in interracial marriages. And uh, the, the forensic pathologists who are, I know who I've talked to will tell you that they can't tell anymore. Uh, a lot of times, whether a person that they're doing an autopsy on is 
of Asian descent, Oriental, Mongolian descent, whatever you want to say, whatever is politically correct, or whether they're of uh, African or whether they're of Caucasian descent uh, because of the racial inter intermixing. There's been an increased absorption of Africans and African descendants into Western society, not just the United States, Europe and uh, Northern Africa has become mishmashed more and more with Southern Africans. So the world is changing. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, as Eric Clapton says, he went down to the crossroad and fell down on his knees and asked the Lord, take me if you please. So there's been a lot going on, a lot going on. And we see, uh, we see people, uh, we see our leaders tolerating people taking over parts of cities. I mean, I could not have imagined that in the 1950s and 60s. We would have been knocked on the head with a billy club and hauled off to jail. <clears throat> Hard to believe. But things are changing. And whether that's for good or ill, well, we'll have to wait and see. I don't know. Uh, some things are good and some aren't. Uh, some things come and some things go. Uh, certainly, uh, we want to see a rise in the middle class around the world because this will make for a more educated and intelligent world, and especially in big countries like China and Russia, where their unrest spills over into the whole world and causes all kinds of problems. Uh, we don't want to see that. So I'm, I'm happy to see that there is uh, a rise in, in the economic uh, well-being of the world, as well as educational and healthcare and all the other aspects of our society that we consider positive and good. As for the people in, in uh, Seattle who have taken over, there apparently is one guy that's running around with an AK-47 or an M-16. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> he's calling himself the policeman of that area, and he's handing out uh, AR-15s to those who support him. <laughs> I love it. I want to see the police go in there and take, them, take that area back. Um, I don't know what's going to come out of this. Apparently, there were a couple of shootings in in that area last night, Joe. So uh, the, the crime rate is is not going to go down. It's going to go up, and uh, anarchy is not going to bring peace and love. It's going to bring chaos and discord, and it's going to bring an incursion by the uh, by the uh, establishment, by government, by uh, troops, by police, and as I've said before, the natural progression of this is from peaceful demonstrations to violent demonstrations to riots to chaos and anarchy, and then a Napoleon <clears throat> comes in, uh, or a Hitler, or some kind of uh, uh, government power comes in and, and lowers the boom on them, lowers the hammer on it, and restores order. Yeah, and there was apparently a shooting in that area last night that and and unfortunately the one of the people that were shot um succumbed to the injuries because well in part because the EMTs who went there to try to assist the individual um who was who was shot because they could not get police protection, they could not ensure their own safety, so they couldn't go into the area. So their own kind of system that they've set up there prevented 
um, outside help from getting there, and it kind of shows part of the weakness of this little construct that they've got there because they, when they needed help, the help came there to help them, but because they did, couldn't protect themselves, and the EMT, and look, the EMTs have no, um, they 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 have no responsibility to put themselves in harm's way, right? And no. and oh, that's no, of course that, not. And so they they did not, <clears throat> and as a result, and that and then some of the caterwauling from the folks at and I don't know whether it's called Chaz or Chop or whatever they're calling it um, on a daily basis, at, uh, you know, up there. But um, they're 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 upset because this happened. It's like, well, I mean, what what did you expect was going to happen yeah. when you call yourself an autonomous zone? I think that that, uh, that that is the hard lesson that you have to learn. And, you know, you can go back to Karl Marx and, and Frederick Engels and, and read the Communist Manifesto and Das Capital, Capitalism, which I've read several times. And basically they say that a few individual lives aren't going to make any difference anyway, that, that what we want is to take over the world and overthrow the governments and implement this worker state, uh, this uh, – uh, communist anarchist state, and uh, it it doesn't work. It didn't work, you know. It didn't work in in Russia. The the Bolsheviks stirred it up, and and in the election in 1917, 1918, they only got less than 20 percent of the popular vote. So Stalin said, "Well, we'll just have to take over and do it anyway." And he came in, and uh, uh, or Lenin rather, and he came in, and of course they started killing anybody who disagreed with them, and uh, the, we're going to see the same thing happen. And when uh, when Armin Hammer, the young American doctor who ended up being a hero to the Russians, he went over there as a medical missionary in 1919, and he wrote home uh, and said it's terrible here. And his father wrote back and said, "What do you need? Do you you know do you need any medical supplies?" He said, "Medical supplies? We need blankets here. These people are starving. They need food. They don't have any hospitals. They don't have anywhere to live. They need." shelter. And, you know, it was just chaos. Meanwhile, Lenin and, and his gang are living like kings and queens. Well, you're going to see the same thing evolve with uh, this chop, champ, chump, whatever they're calling themselves now situation, if it's allowed to go on. At some point, somebody's going to have to step in. I mean, you, you can't let uh, uh, society deteriorate into utter chaos. You know, you can't have people defecating on the streets of San Francisco because you want to treat the bums like they're wild animals and let them roam around. I mean, come on, we don't let wild animals roam around on our streets. You know, they bite you, they'll give you rabies. So we don't we don't want wild foxes and coyotes uh, roaming the streets. We don't, we don't want to treat them like pets. They got, they got diseases. They're, you know, they're, they're not good for you. They're going to hurt you. Well, not only that, think about the businesses that are in that area. If you were, and I say past tense were, because I can't imagine that anybody is going to continue doing that. If you were a small business owner in that area or really any area of Seattle, why would you continue doing business there? I mean, you yeah, you, you yeah, basically I mean, been guaranteed that you're not going to have protection, so why do it? You, you, you lost your business. Right, right. You lost your business. Come on. I mean, this is insanity. Uh, by the way, I wanted to tell you this. Uh, this I wanted to spell this historic myth. People think that the Dark Ages is called the Dark Ages because it was a time of a, a loss of knowledge and technology and people living in squalor and poverty and dirt and filth. It was called the Dark Ages, Joe, because in the 500s, the 6th century, there was a massive volcanic eruption in Iceland that went on 
for off and on for several years. And it actually darkened the skies for a couple of years. And the sun looked like the moon. It was so uh, it was so blanked out. The temperatures dropped. There was all kinds of problems and famine and the big cities couldn't survive. So people hightailed it out to the countryside and started farming. So the big cities were drained. The uh, Eastern Roman Empire had a, a scourge of the bubonic plague sweep through it. And uh, that pretty much ended the, the rule of, of, of the Roman Empire. And so the Dark Ages are not called the Dark Ages because it was a time of, of ignorance and lack of, of, of advancement in technology and understanding. I mean, there was there were great strides that were made in building and in architecture and, and the uh, beautiful churches and the castles that were built. So so I wanted everybody to know that, that that is not why it's called the Dark Ages. It's called the Dark Ages because it was heralded by this worldwide uh, northern hemispheric worldwide spread of volcanic ash in the upper atmosphere that lowered the temperature of the earth up to two degrees centigrade. And that's a, that's a big drop. And uh, so that would have ushered in a little mini ice age. Uh, crops failed. There was starvation. Uh, people moved to the country to try and, and grow some food. And uh, <clears throat> the whole social order of, of Europe and basically the world changed at that time. Interesting to see how uh, natural phenomena actually change the way we live and what we do and how we uh, congregate and where we go. Look at us now, all locked down. <laughs> I love it. Hey, you know, the good thing about being a doctor, though, is that I got this letter that says I can go where I want to go and do what I want to do and that I'm not subject to quarantines or, or to shelter in place. So I can come visit Joe if I want over there at the station. And nobody can stop me. That's a that's a prime use of your um, uh, uh, hyper essential uh, powers. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. I'm telling you, man. So uh, you. Uh, by the way, you know how they figured all this out about the, the sixth century? No. Uh, they they drilled into the polar caps, the ice caps, and they uh, actually looked at uh, what dust was there and where it came from and now with all the radioisotope tracing and all that they can trace the volcanic ash that was in there to a specific year and to a specific location on the planet because every every volcano spews out a little bit different uh, volcanic ash that you can now fingerprint unbelievable unbelievable the technology has come so far in my lifetime joe i thought all this would happen but i never thought it would happen in my lifetime I thought that we would have computers that would be doing all the things that, that they're doing now and more. I thought that we would have artificial intelligence, but I never thought it would happen in my lifetime. Never. And you know what? I predict, I predict that before I die, we're going to marry our computers. We're going to start. And we have already actually started putting some minor computer parts into our bodies to operate artificial limbs and uh, to do different things. Uh, and and we're, we're close to marrying our phones. I mean, we've got them to our ear all the time. The next step is going to be to just implant some kind of microchip with a little with a little bone conducting speaker in it into your head so you can make phone calls without having to use your hands or pick up anything. And um, that's coming next. That'll be the next big thing. So we will eventually marry our computers. Cyborgs. Don't you love it, baby? Don't you love it? That was a great movie. Yes, it Back was. In the 80s. And yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, things to come. 
the shape of things to come. Oh, my. Oh, my. Well, I'm going to go grab a, a cup of joe, my friend, and we'll be back, everybody. And when I come back, I want to talk about what's going on up in Atlanta, Georgia with this cop and take a look at that again. We'll stir up a little social chaos here and a little rancor and discord among the troops, get the left and the right fighting again. And I'll be right back. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Find us online at TheAnswerTampa.com. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Police say one man is dead, 11 are wounded following a shooting in Minneapolis. The police initially said 10 people had been shot but raised that number. An initial tweet from the police advised the public to avoid the area in uptown Minneapolis, a commercial district that includes several bars and restaurants. Nobody's in custody, according to the police, in regard to the shooting, but that some individuals on foot began shooting about 12.30 a.m., later fled the scene, and the investigation continues. British police are treating a stabbing rampage yesterday in a park that killed three people as a terrorist act now. Police had earlier said they were keeping an open mind. Three people were killed and three seriously wounded in the stabbings in Reading's Forsbury Gardens Park Saturday evening. A 25-year-old asylum seeker from Libya is being held. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. With social distancing and sheltering in place, telemedicine is here. Bay Area Medical Home of Can Care Clinic offers telemedicine for new and established patients. You can see me without an office visit. Schedule an appointment at 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. When it's time for your appointment, type this web address into your cell phone or computer web browser doxy.me forward slash Bay Area Med. A cell phone works well and is all you really need. For computers, you need a web camera and speakers. We'll give you this address when you call for your appointment. We accept most insurances and travel insurances. Canadians and visitors, please call your travel insurance company for an authorization number prior to the visit. Co-pays and deductibles apply. Self-pay rates are available. Just ask. We accept credit cards, PayPal, and Stripe. 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. Balance of Nature, changing the world one life at a time. I believe in the product. I really do. Everybody thinks I'm crazy and friggin' snake oil and all the rest. But I'm going to tell you something. I've taken all the snake oil out there, and you're right. Most of it doesn't work. But this stuff 
does work. There's no doubt about it. I've noticed a big difference in my mobility. You know, things that I didn't think were going to be possible a few months ago are possible now. And I try to sell it to everybody in my family. Thanksgiving, Christmas, everybody comes over and says, oh, you look great. I said, yeah, I'm taking this new stuff, balance of nature. So if you want to use me as a commercial, I'm a good commercial for this. This works. It really does work. Experience the balance of nature difference for yourself. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 1-800-2468-751 or go to balanceofnature.com today and use discount code RESULTS. Take AM860, The Answer, with you wherever you go with our mobile app, theanswertampa.com, Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, and at radio.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt on the next Hugh Hewitt Show. We open the week with Energy Secretary Dan Brule, who is the, of course, secretary over everything that moves in the energy world. And that means nuclear power. Dan Brule on the next Hugh Hewitt Show. Weekday mornings at 6 on AM 860. The answer. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Turning out to be a partly sunny day today with a shower or a thunderstorm in spots for the afternoon. High 93. A shower or a thunderstorm around for the evening. Otherwise, mainly clear tonight with a low of 76. For tomorrow, partly sunny, a shower or a thunderstorm in spots for the afternoon. Monday's high 93. That's your Accurate with the Forecast. I'm Kevin Snyder for AM860, The Answer. And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD. We've got a great show going on this morning. We talked a little bit about the, the uh, uptick in the number of cases of coronavirus that are being diagnosed. Without a significant increase in the number of deaths, uh, it's kind of going up and down, seesawing up and down. And then we started to talk about the situation out in Seattle and about the chaos and talked about the upheavals that occurred in the 14th century uh, in the wake of the Black Plague. And uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how this plague of virus alters the the uh, fabric of our society, and I'm sure that it will. It's uh, it's pushing us technologically, and I love it. Well, you know, I want to talk about the the officer up in Atlanta who was charged with uh, murder in the <clears throat> killing of Rayshard Brooks at the Wendy's. By the way, they burnt the Wendy's down. I don't know why they burnt the Wendy's down. I guess because Wendy's called the police to get the guy out of the out of the uh, out of the drive-through line because he was passed out at the wheel. And so the story is, if you haven't seen the the video, the story is that they were talking to this guy for uh, 20, 30 minutes, and uh, they finally decided to arrest him, and he seemed like he was going to cooperate, arrest him for drunken driving because he was drunk in a car and he had pulled into the into the drive through lane. He resisted arrest. He grabbed the cop's taser and he started to run. And as he ran, the cop ran after him. He pulled the taser. The cop, uh, the, he turned around and fired the taser at the cop. The cop pulled his gun and fired back, uh, which is perfectly legal under Georgia law and as a cop who's in pursuit of a, a, a felon who is shooting at you. And so the uh, the 
the the Atlanta DA, I believe his name's Paul Howard. He uh, he said that a taser is not a deadly weapon in in his uh, in his press release last week. But I think that we have him a few months ago saying just the opposite. Do you have that? Do you have that tape, Joe? Can you play that? And this is uh, Pilgrim, and uh, as many of you all know, under Georgia law, a taser is considered as a deadly weapon under Georgia law. And, all- and there you have it. So, Seems pretty you know, unambiguous for me. Well, you can't fry ice. I mean, you know, come on. You just can't fry ice. Either It's either, it's either solid or it's liquid or it's gas, but it can't be all three, uh, you know. So let's let's... Let's clear this up. Let's take a look at the at the uh, at the Georgia statutes. Of course, the the statutes say that for the purposes of this code section, the term firearms, and this is this is uh, Title 16 under the Georgia Code, Article 4, Part 1. If you want to look it up yourself, so you know, Doctor Bill's not making things up here. He's telling you the absolute truth. And if you listen to me, you'll have a much better life. So stick with me. So for the purpose of this code. The term firearm shall include stun guns and tasers. A stun gun or taser is any device that is powered by electrical charging units such as batteries and admits an electrical charge in excess of 20,000 volts or is otherwise capable of incapacitating a person by an electrical charge. Look, if you're a cop or if you're anybody and you're threatened and somebody fires a taser at you, if they take you down with a taser, they can come back, grab your pistol, and shoot you in the head. So you have the right to stand your ground. Now, you, and, and if you're a cop and somebody's resisting arrest and they use deadly force on you, you have the right to use deadly force back. So why are they charging this guy with murder? I mean, it, first of all, it's not going to stick. There's no way they'll get a conviction. Secondly, all it's doing is inflaming the police department and the uh, the Georgia Sheriff's Association has issued a statement saying it condemns the charges brought uh, by Fulton County DA uh, and that it, it sees it as uh, just a political ploy. Uh, the Atlanta police officer, Garrett Roth, who was fired from the Atlanta Police Department after the shooting, and then Devin Bronson uh, responded to Brooks outside of a Wendy's restaurant. He... he uh, Falling asleep, this guy, and so the cops went there, and they 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 tried to get him, you know, up and at it, and and see what they could do with this guy, and they finally decided to to uh, arrest him. Well, now you got one of these guys charged with with murder, and the other one has been uh, fired or whatever, and charges are being considered against him without any hearing, without any investigation without any questioning, without any internal review by the police department or by the, uh, the civilian review boards. I mean, come on. This isn't justice. This is, uh, this is playing into the hands of the, of the uh, people who think that they're making a statement by saying this is an unjust shooting and that it just is another incidence of racism. I mean, I, I can't help it if the guy's black. Uh, you know, I don't care if you're black or you're white. If you pull a taser on me and threaten to shoot me, I'm going to pull my pistol out and shoot back. That's that's called stand your ground. And by the way, Georgia, like Florida, has a stand your ground law, which says that even if somebody is is retreating, if they continue to be a threat, 
if they're running away and firing at you, and, and you can say that's retreating, you still have the right to fire back. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I understand that the politics of it are that this guy, this DA, Paul Howard, and the, uh, the hierarchy in Atlanta are, are wringing their hands and getting their panties in a wad over what to do and how to keep peace and, and mollify the, the black population in Atlanta. And it's a big black population. You know, it's, it's, a, it's the black capital of the country, basically. I lived there for a decade. Great city. Uh, but uh, I don't want to live there anymore. I mean, it's just getting too crazy for me, these big cities. So at any rate, he's making this this uh, big grandstand display of, of the rule of, of law over the police rather than trying to implement any meaningful reforms, which I have been pushing for on this show for years. We need more oversight of the police. They need a civilian review boards, not just uh, civilian review boards to slap them on the back of the hand and say, bad boy, don't do that again. Uh, we, we need review boards with teeth, uh, with the ability to, uh, if, if not directly bring prosecution against cops who misbehave or administrative action or firing, but uh, at least to have the ability to make those recommendations directly to, with some authority, the, uh, the, the heads of the police departments and the sheriff's departments as well as make recommendations to the local and state and federal DAs to get these bad cops out of the, out of the mix. But, you know, this guy was just doing his job. I mean, he's just doing his job. What do you think is going to happen in the heat of the moment? I mean, come on. And you can say, well, it's immoral. He shouldn't have shot the guy. What's the difference? You know, the guy wasn't even in a car anymore. Uh, he, so he wasn't driving, so he wasn't a threat to anybody. Okay, so then we're back to Seattle, to the Chaz, the Chump, the Chad, or the Chop Zone, or whatever it is. And here you have shootings, and as Joe was saying earlier, uh, the EMS can't even, or they won't even go in, and you can't blame them. Uh, they're under no, uh, they're under no uh, obligation to go into an area where it's unsafe for them. They're not there to put their lives at risk. They're there to save people, not to be shot and killed themselves. And without uh, the police to, uh, to provide some law and order in that area, they're not going in. I don't blame them. I wouldn't either. I would not go in. I mean, why do I want to risk my life for that? Look, <clears throat> as a doctor with a lot of years of, of uh, training and education and ongoing uh, continuing medical education, uh, a society has invested a lot in me. So if I'm called to the hospital... I feel this is my personal responsibility to take care of COVID patients. I'm going to go and I'm going to do it. I don't have to do it, but I feel a moral obligation to do it. Now, some, some young guy or gal who has had uh, a year or two of EMT training and uh, has not invested the amount of time and money and uh, sweat and tears that I have and that society has in me, you know, I don't blame them. Why should they risk their lives for for a job that that is of value, but certainly doesn't have the same amount of uh, societal input as what society has brought me to? So I, I think that we have to stop and think about what we're doing. You want chaos? You want uh, uh, anarchy? Well, you're going to suffer. 
you're going to have a loss of health care systems. You're going to have a loss of uh, businesses and financial growth and wealth amassing. And uh, you're going to have a world that's not uh, as good for your kids as we have now. And the object here is to move forward, not backward. I mean, this is just craziness. So what do we do about this this crazy DA who is playing the politics of the moment and uh, uh, villainizing a cop who's just doing his job? And who's to say what you would do if you were a cop and you were trained to do exactly what that cop did? And you follow your training. Somebody pulls a weapon on you. You better pull your weapon back or you're going to be dead. Well, he was running away. Well, he, he takes you down with his taser. He can come back and get, if you got your taser, he can come back and get your pistol too. And, and then you could have had two cops dead. So, I don't know, Joe. I, I, think, that, I think that there are times when we allow politics and uh, political correctness to overwhelm common sense. I think that the best thing would have been for the DA to say, uh, we're investigating this, but we want to let the uh, Georgia Bureau of Investigation go through their hoops first. And they were blindsided by by Attorney Howard uh, because they never had a chance to look into this, which is what the law prescribes, that they look into this, that there is some kind of uh, review and oversight. And, and that he would have put this on hold and said, we think this is a criminal act, but we want to hear from uh, the departments. We want to hear from the community. We want to see which way this is going to go and what kind of charges we're going to bring. How on earth can you bring first-degree murder charges? I mean, you know, that they, they're talking to the guy for 20 or 30 minutes and uh, peacefully. And, uh, I mean, uh, you know, the intent has to be there. There has to be premeditation and a cop who's acting on training uh, and doing what he's supposed to do. That's not premeditated murder. That's a justified killing. And uh, we're, we're going to have a backlash over this eventually. This is, this is craziness. Look, life matters. Life matters. But not all life matters. There are people who need to be in prison. They need to be out of society. They don't matter anymore. They're causing more chaos and damage and hurting and uh, people and, and causing pain and destruction and uh, personal injury. Uh, and they don't need to be in society. They don't matter. They don't matter. They don't matter at a societal level. Lock them up. You don't have to be cruel to them. You don't have to starve them or beat them. But you got to get them out of society. Their societal role has dissipated. They have been given the test of life and they failed. And you say, well, people should get a second chance. Well, that's why we have term limits on prison terms. That's why we have parole boards to see if we can give people a second chance. And I don't have a problem with that. But until they mature or get some psychiatric help or uh, learn ways to control their anger and their impulsivity, uh, they need to be somewhere where they're not harmful to themselves and to us, members of society. So this Black Lives Matter, White Lives Matter, whatever, it, it's, it's uh, a little bit hokey to me. You know, it, it, it's, it's uh, a misapplication of terminology. If you want to say that the black community matters, I'm 100% with you. If you want to say that all lives are important and, and meaningful in some sense or another, uh, I would 
say, mm, I'll go along with you to a certain point, but then there's a point where I won't go along with you anymore because I think that there are people who do not deserve to be in society because of their bad actions. Their social uh, 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 illnesses are such that they uh, are a plague upon us and they need to be quarantined in, in, in some fashion or another, whether it's in a psychiatric hospital or a prison. It, uh, you know, it, it, it depends on the resources that society wants to allocate. But for God's sakes, let's not make saints out of sinners. You know, if you want to if you want to turn a sinner into a saint, you go ahead and, and take your, your mission, you, you take your, your, your ministry to the prisons and to the psychiatric facilities, and I'm all for that. You go in and you administer, you minister to these folks and see if you can get them to accept God or religion or whatever. But, uh, you know, come on, you, you can't let them run around. And, I mean, you, you can't let this happen. We, we, we've got to at some point step in and, and put a stop to it. And say, well, how much and how long does does this go on? How far do we let it go? Well, well, you know, in terms of numbers, let's face it, there haven't really been that many deaths from the chaos that's gone on in the country. Just a handful. It's sensational, but it's certainly not uh, 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 catastrophic. It's not an existential event. We're not crumbling. I mean, the stock market's going up and businesses are reopening and people are out and about and doing their thing. And most everybody's still doing the same things that they did before and following the same same laws, the same rules and regulations and the same norms of social interaction. And uh, that's 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 the way we are. That's that's how it should be. We are basically uh, a law abiding society. And uh, the tolerance of some of this chaos is understandable, uh, not necessarily welcome by me personally, uh, and certainly uh, not not fair to those who have invested time and money and effort into uh, the society in which is now being disrupted, like the, the, the parts of Seattle that have been taken over by the uh, anarchist. And it's not fair to the families of the police officers who are acting in good faith. And, you know, we talked about this with... Uh, with uh, Trayvon Martin and uh, Zimmerman. And, you know, I'm the first to say that what Zimmerman did was immoral and it was wrong, but it wasn't illegal because Trayvon was on top of him with a fist coming down on Zimmerman's face and Zimmerman pulled his gun and shot. And I I looked at the autopsy. I looked at the at the sweatshirt and the burn marks and the the distance that the shell traveled to reach uh, Trayvon. It was you know ten inches. So it was just a perfect shot from someone being on top of you with his hoodie hanging down. And and you can say you know Zimmerman should have never gotten out of the car. I agree. Zimmerman should have never confronted this kid. I agree. Zimmerman should have listened to what the police were telling him not to engage uh, Trayvon. I agree a hundred percent. What Zimmerman did was wrong. It was morally wrong, but it went. It wasn't illegal. There's the difference. So you got to have law and order. Got to have a way for us to interact with each other in a peaceful and uh, organized way. And that's what the laws are here for. And when you have stuff like this going on out in Seattle, when you have DAs making their own laws uh, and, and villainizing cops who are just doing their job, then then we have a breakdown in society 
and we can't have that. We got to stop that stuff. And Joe, I want you to get out there this week and put an end to all this. You got it, or uh, Doc. I mean, this is this is the only thing I'm going to work on. All right, I'm glad to hear it, and I want Barbara on this case too. I want her to call the home office and, and let us know what's going on, and uh, tell Salem to do something. Dang it, do something now! I mean it. All right, so we're close to the end of the show. We had a great show, and I thank Joe for being with me this week, and I will see you guys next week. Love everybody, and I will get out of here and play some music. <laughs>